We believe. We believe. We believe. We believe. We believe. We believe. We believe that the church is a spiritual organism made up of all believers in Christ. That in its local manifestation, it is an autonomous assembly of believers. Father God, we want to talk about your church right now. We've sang about it. We've hinted to it. We are the church here today. Now we want to try to make sense of what your word has said, what our statement of faith is latched onto about us being the body of Jesus Christ on this earth. So Lord, help us understand that simple but profound word picture, and more importantly, Lord, help us to be that uh, today as Scottsdale Bible Church. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So I don't have a lot of introduction. I'm going to tell you a story in just about one minute. But I want to give you my main point up front just so that we all can start to chew on this because it's going to be kind of a paradigm shift for some of you. And it's simply this, and that is that I believe the local church is the hope of the world. And I don't think that's an overstatement. The local church, I would submit to you here this morning, is the hope of the world. Back in the late 90s, I heard a pastor make that claim that the local church is the hope of the world. And being seminary trained, my initial response is, no, it isn't. It's not the hope of the world. Jesus Christ is the hope of the world. That one I'll grant you. But come on, the local church? And as he went on to explain some of the things I'm going to explain to you here today about what God wants to do in and through us and how we are his body, I indeed believe it's not too much of an overstatement to say that embodying the message and Jesus Christ, we are the hope of the world. Uh, Bill Hybels is the popular pastor of Willow Creek Community Church and author of the book Courageous Leadership. And in his book, he tells a profound story of when he first realized this vision that the local church is indeed the hope of the world. He talks about how he was coming back from an international speaking trip and he was traveling through San Juan, Puerto Rico. And as he was waiting for the plane there in the airport, just picture him reading a newspaper, he noticed two brothers that were playing with each other, one about eight or nine years old and the other about five or six. And all of a sudden at one point he heard a slap and the older brother had smacked the younger brother right across the face. And Bill noticed a welt was starting to form on this young kid's face. And Bill looked up and thought, I wonder where the parents are. And before he could think any other thought, he heard a bam. And this older kid with a closed fist just clocked the younger kid in the head and the kid started to bleed. Bill jumped up at that moment and said, where are the parents? Where are the parents? But before anybody could answer, the older kid, kid in a fit of rage, jumped on the younger kid and started smashing his head into the tile floor. Blood was all over the place. Bill jumped in between this raging older boy and the other kid who was lying flat on the ground, and he pulled the younger kid off. And right as that happened, this all happened in a split second, the ticket agent came over and said, Are you Mr. Hybels? The plane is taking off and it's waiting for you. Bill felt torn. He said, The only way I'm going to leave these two kids is under one condition, and that is that you watch these kids personally and by all means find their parents. And she promised that she would, and he got on the plane. And I want to read for you what happened next as Bill got on the plane, what went on in his mind and heart that led to the realization that we're talking about today. He says, I stumbled onto the plane and managed to find my seat, but I was shaken badly by what had just happened. I, I couldn't get the sights and sounds of the violence I had witnessed out of my mind. 
I grabbed a sports magazine and tried to read an article, but I couldn't concentrate. I looked in the entertainment magazine to see what movie would be shown and hoped it would be something that would distract me from what I had just seen. But while I waited, I sensed the Holy Spirit telling me to try not to purge my mind so quickly. Think about what you saw. Consider the implications. Let your heart be gripped by this reality. He says, as I consciously chose to dwell on what I had seen, I was flooded with thoughts about the older kid's life. I wondered where his parents were. I wondered what kind of experience he was having in school. I wondered if there was anyone in his life offering him love and guidance and hope. I wondered what his future held. If he's throwing fists at the age of eight, what will he be throwing at 18? Knives? Bullets? Where will he end up? In a nice house with a good wife and a satisfying job? Or in a jail cell? Or even in an early grave? He says, then I was prompted by the Spirit to consider what might change the, tra the trajectory of this kid's life. I scrolled through the options. Maybe, I thought, if we elect some really great government officials who will pass new legislation, maybe that will help this kid later in life. He says, but will it? Don't misunderstand me. I know that what governments do is very important. Writing legislation for the good of society is a noble and worthy task. Public service is an honorable vocation. But politicians, no matter how sincere their motivation, can only do so much. They cannot change the composition of a human heart. They can't get to the core problem of the kid I saw in the airport and millions of others like him. So he says, I scrolled through every other option I could think of and considered what they had to offer. Businessmen can provide sorely needed jobs. Wise educators can teach useful knowledge of the world. Self-help programs can offer effective methods of behavior modification. Advanced psychological techniques can aid self-understanding. And all of this is good. But can any of it transform the human heart? And then it hit me. There's only one power that exists on this sorry planet that can do that. It's the power of the love of Jesus Christ, the love that conquers sin and wipes out shame and heals wounds and reconciles enemies and patches broken dreams and ultimately changes the world one life at a time. He says, what grips my heart every day is the knowledge that the radical message of that transforming love has been given to the church. That means that in a very real way, the future of the world rests in the hands of local congregations like yours and mine. It's the church or it's lights out. Without churches so filled with the power of God that they can't help but spill goodness and peace and love and joy into the world, then depravity will win the day. Evil will flood the world. But it doesn't have to be that way. Strong, growing communities of faith can turn the tide of history. They can. And he wraps up by saying, don't bother looking elsewhere. The church is it. And folks, I think he's right. I, I think he's onto something there. That, that when we start to understand what God has said about you and me, just simple you and me, who meet here every Sunday and sing songs and do our church thing, when you start to understand what God really wants to happen through this entire process, you just might find yourself saying that the local church is the hope of the world. I want to string together some Bible passages for you right now. Don't try to look these up. This is going to be worse than one of those sword drills you had in Sunday school when you were a kid. But I want to string together some Bible passages for you right now. So look up here on the screen and see if you can pick up the theme 
of what God says here about you and I being the body of Christ. Look at Romans 12, verses 4 and 5. It says, for as in one body, we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, here it is, are one body in Christ and individually members of it. Now, look at the yellow there. Though many are one body in Christ. And then adding a little bit more clarity, look at 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. Now, now if you're checking them, you're going, okay, what, body, Christ, what are you talking about? Look at Ephesians chapter 1, verses 22 and 23, using the same word picture. And he, God, put all things under his, Jesus' feet, and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all and all. And then Colossians 1.18. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Do you start to see the picture developing here, folks? Do you? Do you see the picture that God wants you and I to latch on to? It's not complicated, just profound. It's a picture of Christ being the head and you and me, the church, being a body or the body. A simple illustration in the Bible, if there ever was one, but one that I think we can all relate to, because all of us, I still, last I checked, still today have heads and bodies. We haven't learned in our scientifically advanced age to, to get rid of those things. And, and so we are heads and we are bodies. We are living organic beings. And in analogy, what God says is that what's going on in church is that Jesus is our head. We are the figurative body of Christ, or in reality, the body of Christ. Now function like that. Now, with this understanding, I want to share with you three implications or three ideas that flow out of this that almost all theologians have agreed on over the years, but I think have profound implications with our thesis that the local church is the hope of the world. First one is this. What it means is that we, the church, are his hands, his feet, his arms, his legs, his heartbeat, his breath, and any other elements you can think of when it comes to your body. In other words, we embody, we carry, and we dispense the gospel. That's the first illustration implication of this truth. I mean, think about the whole analogy of a head and a body and what each one does when it comes to our physical lives. But we know the answer to that. We know that the head gives life to the body. It's the control center of all the body's activities. It makes the decisions and tells the body what to do. And so by analogy, what the Bible is saying is that Christ is our head, and he has done that for the church. He's our leader. He's the one who tells us what to do. He directs the church. But don't miss that the body is the one who actually executes it all. All the parts of the body are the ones who collectively, together as one, execute anything that the head says to do. And so in this analogy before us today, we as the body then are the ones who carry out and dispense the gospel message. Without the body, all you're left with is a head, and there's no one to do the heavy lifting. There's no one to do the work. This is why in the Bible you will find the call over and over again for us as a church to be engaged in things like this. We share, we love, we speak, we act, we show compassion, we tell truth, we live righteous lives, we serve, we role model, we get involved, we point the way. All with the power 
of the Holy Spirit in and behind us, the greatest power to ever hit planet Earth, the only power that can change the composition of a human heart. If you don't believe me that this is the implication here, look at how Romans chapter 10 Verses 14 and 15 capitalize on this same illustration in a practical application form. It says, how then will they call on him, meaning Jesus, in whom they have not believed? How will they believe in him in whom they have never heard of? And how will they hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. And so just taking this simple illustration, what two body parts are being used here? Feet and mouth. And it's basically saying, how are people ever going to come to Jesus? How are their lives ever going to change if the church is not vocal and if the church doesn't get feet? How is Jesus ever going to come to a lost community? How is our world ever going to get on track with God's agenda and his plan for us if the church is not the church? We are the hands and feet We are the legs, we're the mouthpiece of God. Truly, as the body of Christ, we carry and dispense the hope of Christ to the world. And in this sense, the local church becomes the hope of the world. Now, taking this word picture a next step, notice a second thing it teaches us, and that is, and this is going to encourage some of you, especially some of you who have been just a bit lax in the last few years, and that is that every part or every believer is part of his body. Is that not so cool? Every believer is part of his body. So anyone who has come to faith in Jesus Christ as his or her Savior and Lord is now a part of what theologians call the universal body of Christ, meaning any church, any group of people, any individual that has a true faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, as the only forgiver of our sins and the one to get us to heaven, you're now a part of the church. Uh, look at how 1 Corinthians 12, 27 makes this really clear. It says, now you are Christ's body and individually members of it. Ephesians 5, 30, because we are members of his body. Colossians 3, 15, you are called, each of you individually, into one body. And so try to latch on to this, folks. This means that no matter whether you skip Sunday church or go regularly, whether, whether you've been a follower of Christ for eight days or 80 years, whether you know a little Bible or a lot, whether you pray a little or just learning to pray, pray a lot or just learning to pray, whether you know every Christian in town or just a few, the Bible says in one sense it doesn't matter that you are in, if you believe in Jesus Christ, you are a part of his body, his church. And as we're going to see, each of us needs to play a role. And just so that we're clear on what this powerful word picture means when it comes to God's plan for this world, please know that thirdly then, each local church is the visible expression of his body. So I used that phrase earlier, the universal body of Christ, meaning anybody and everybody that believes in Jesus. But one of the cool things about the New Testament is that it teaches us that then God used these little local expressions to then be his visible body of Christ in certain areas. And so maybe this will help some of you understand. This is why you got book like, like, books like Galatians in the Bible. It was written to the churches in Galatia. Why you have books like Thessalonians in the Bible. It was written to the, to the church in Thessalonica. 
Philippians, written to the church in Philippi. Uh, the book of, let's see another one, Corinthians, written to the church in Corinth. Romans, written to the church in Rome. You get the idea. If we were living in New Testament times, and it was here in Arizona, there'd be a book of Scottsdale in the Bible. There would, because God would have written us a letter as a local visible expression. But here's the cool thing. He has written us a letter. It's contained in the 66 books of the Bible. It extends to us, and he's saying, you are the visible expression here in Scottsdale, along with some other churches, of my hope for this world. And so let's add all of this up. Here's my point this morning. I'm going to have the main point, and then here's the kind of the point. And that is that when you take the power and love of Jesus Christ, and you combine this with the body being the carriers of his love and message, which we have just seen the Bible is unmistakable about, then I think you're ready to receive the fact that the local church does indeed become the hope of the world. That Hybels is right. Without us, it's lights out. And if we're ever going to go any further in our understanding of what God is calling us to here at Scottsdale Bible Church for the next 50 years, if we're ever going to get any mileage out of the 50 years that we've just come out of, we've got to understand our calling as a church and what all of this means. And folks, what I'm begging you to see today is how powerful it is when you and I latch on to God's vision and reality for the church. You know, one of the things that kind of breaks my heart each week here at Scottsdale Bible Church, not in that, in that terrible sense, but it just, it, just, it just impassions me, is how there are so many things that go on in this body. Answered prayer enlightened discoveries about who God is, people finally repenting of just awful, long-lived lifestyles, marriages that get healed, kids that turn out well. I mean, there's so many stories that come out of this church, and I just want to scream them to my neighborhood and community. I don't know about you. I do, because I see them. I drive to church here every Sunday at 630, and I'm having to wait in line at Starbucks that's so busy there in Scottsdale. And everybody's going to play tennis and golf and ride their bikes, and I just think, I wonder how many of them are doing that before church. I wonder how many are doing that after church. I wonder how many of them are going to church. I wonder how many of them have any walk with God in relationship with him at all. And I think if somehow I can join what I see happen in this place every single week to this lost community, I know that spiritual sparks would fly. And I know that people would find Jesus Christ. You know, one of the... um, most profound ways you see the church is in crisis. I I hate to say it like that, but it's true. When our lives are in crisis is when we tend to get more serious about God and we tend to see God move in profound ways. I just think he uses a broken world that way. And our executive pastor, Tom Shard, and his wife, Jenny, had a profound crisis, a near-death experience for Jenny this past summer. Some of you might remember it. But we wanted to share that story with you right now. It's just a little glimpse of the power of the church as God moves in and through her just to affect a simple family here in our church and in our community. So look up here on the screen, and then I'm going to wrap up with five living pictures that we can all grab onto. But first, let's hear the Sharda's story. I knew she was turning bluish green. I knew she, you know, was in serious trouble. Tom, it's Jenny. Uh, It's her heart. And we're in the back of an ambulance, and you need to pray. It was sudden. There was no warning whatsoever. Had a cardiac arrest. 
My name is Jenny Sharda. I've been attending Scottsdale Bible Church now for almost three years. And this is my story. I went back to Cleveland to attend my high school reunion. My daughter and I, my oldest daughter Rachel and I went back and stayed at my parents' house. And I had seen a few friends that weekend, but the, the big reunion was on Sunday night. And that morning, I um, was having coffee with my mom, had just woken up and we were having, starting to have coffee together. And I told her I felt dizzy, I didn't feel well. And she said, you know, why don't you sit down? I said, I'm, I'm really dizzy. And at that point, that was the time that I collapsed on the floor. She went right down, and I went right with her, you know. And I said, oh, come on, Jenny, come on, you know, Jenny. I called 911, the woman was wonderful, and she walked, she said, do you know CPR? And I said, yes. And I had taken it 35 years ago, but I knew that I had to get breath into her. So I, I prayed to the Holy Spirit. I said, Holy Spirit, I know you can moan prayers for us. Please breathe life into this child of yours. And I really turned her over to God. And I did the CPR. They shocked her heart several times and got her on a gurney. And I walked right behind them out to the ambulance. And I immediately called Tom. You know, it's one of those calls where you can never anticipate how you'd react. You know, this can't be happening. My heart was aching, my heart was crying. Um, and I called, uh, I called Jamie. I'm going to pray for them right now, and I'd ask us all to rally around them in prayer. We pray, God, that you would give strength to her body, that you would uh, just give power to her, uh, just bring a healing to her heart. And we pray, God, that there would not be damage uh, any further than what they have seen, and that you would bring a, a, an efficient and swift recovery to her, to her health. They knew exactly what to do. They cooled her down, and uh, that same week, Wall Street Journal had an article in the paper saying only 30% of the hospitals in the United States have this cooling procedure. And they diagrammed the whole thing in the paper and everything. And I said, there's God, he's telling us again. He has Jenny just where she should be. My prayer was that God just walk right beside us. I really just asked that God not leave us or forsake us. And I knew he promised that so many times in the Bible. I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you. And I just ask for that prayer. I remember this moment um, as I was getting out of the car uh, to go up into the hospital and um, Rachel, my oldest, looked at me and I could tell, I could tell uh, there's just fear in her eyes. Um, and I knew, I knew she knew what was going on, but um, I didn't want to tell her. And uh, I gave her a hug. Um, she leaned out the window, I was standing outside. I gave her a hug and uh, I whispered into her ear, I said, there's a, there's a verse I want to share with you, Rachel, and um, it's the Lord is good, a stronghold in times of trouble. He cares for those who trust in him. And I whispered that into her ear and I said, um, you know, Rachel, I'm scared right now. Um, I don't know what's going to happen, um, but I trust in him. And so I, that's all I can say. And, and I just asked her a simple question, Rachel, do you trust in him? And she said, I do. I, I remember before I left, Jamie had mentioned to me, you know, 
it's going to be an intimate night for you when you get there. I, I didn't know what that really meant, but it really was. It was an intimate time um, that Christ really reached to me and just gave me a, a seriously an indescribable peace that I, I can't describe. I cannot describe it. There were a lot of people that were just amazed at, you know, what had happened and continued to tell me how fortunate I am. Um, speaking with the doctors and nurses and just realizing how few people go through this and survive. It's hard to, to know why something like this happens, but I do feel like one of the reasons is so that our children and children at Scottsdale Bible and children of my friends that were praying because, you know, immediately that I, I really, I, I feel so blessed that people prayed immediately. You know, it happened on a Sunday morning. Tom calls Jamie. Jamie makes the announcement in church and, and immediately people are praying. And there were so many children that saw their parents pray and were a part of that praying around the dinner table, praying at night for me. And later when I'm able to come back to church and they see that I'm healed, that I'm walking, that I'm, I'm you know, I'm good, that they see God does answer prayer. See, that, that's obviously a very public story because Tom's a public figure here in our church. He's our executive pastor, and, and he's constantly in contact with all of you. So we made it public at the time. What you need to know is that those kinds of stories where God answers prayer, where the body of Christ rallies, where people's lives are changed and affected for the good because of God's people, they happen all the time here in this church and many others. You know, many times today, if you watch MSNBC or CNN or whatever news channel you watch, many times the church can get a bad rap because anytime the church does something bad, and they do at times, uh, it's in the news. But you know, the church never covers story, or the CNN never covers stories like that, do they? they? They never cover all the answers to prayer, all the rallying of people in support uh, of the church being the hope of the world in small ways and huge ways. Uh, Jenny Shardis, uh, what happened to her is that she had a cardiac arrest, which is different than a heart attack. It's different than needing a stent. I mean, her heart stopped. To this day, they don't know why. They're still trying to drill down on it, but it's one of those sudden death things where you just up and die right there. And so she literally had her heart stop there. And I don't know if you caught it in the video, but man, do I like her parents and her mom especially. <laughs> I've said to Tom for years now, because I know both Jack and Betty, I've said, if you ever have conflict with your in-laws, it's you. I've been telling him that for years. I said, because you got the most amazing in-laws that I can ever imagine. I mean, Betty, I mean, imagine that your daughter just drops dead in front of you and you're 77 years old, and what do you do? You first pray to the Holy Spirit. Who does that? And then she just calls 911 and performs CPR. I said to Jenny later, I said, what was Jack doing? He, said, he was useless. He was panicking in the background, you know. And, <laughs> but Betty is there just, right, and this is my baby. This is my daughter, and she is not going to go and gives her CPR. And it saved her life. I mean, the paramedic said, you saved her life by being there because this is the type of thing where you just die right there. And then there was damage done, and that's what we were praying for. There's no damage, and so we all rallied, and we prayed, and they f cooled her body down to like 80-something degrees for 24 hours. That was that intimate night that Tom talked about. And through all of that and the prayer and God's movement, I mean, Jenny came out of her uh, medically-induced coma and is just fine today. 
I mean, it's an incredible story. And again, we see these happen all the time. It's the church. It's God's moving in our midst. So I want to wrap up today and give you five living pictures. I promised this for you earlier, and then we're going to take our elder fund offering. And I need two volunteers to help me with this because I need some spiritual mannequins up here today to, to be these living pictures for us. So I've already chosen them in advance. Baltzer, I need you to come up here on the stage. Put your camera down. And Kimmel, why don't you uh, come up here and up on the stage, crawl around these people. I'm only calling people I know so that they can't hate me too badly. And, uh, and I need you guys to help me with these illustrations. So you guys know Don Baltzer. He's one of our pastors here. Tim Kimmel's one of our elders. Hello, men. Glad you came up here. You don't have to say a word, I promise, okay? We're just going to have you pose for us, and you're going to love this. And so first thing I need you to do is I need you to face each other, all right? And Tim, I want you to hold this Bible, okay? Hold it to your side. And I want you to put your right or your left hand on Don's shoulder, and I want you to just give him a look like you're sharing the love of Jesus Christ with him. And I want you to give him a look like you're interested, okay? <laughs> This would be a picture of the first picture I want to give you of the church, and that's of a, an evangelistically friendly church where word and hey, come on, guys, get them on the thing here. All right, look, there we go. Okay, good. Where it's an evangelistically friendly church where the word of God is being used to be shared in love with another person who doesn't know Jesus, hand on the shoulder, caring for another person. We call it the win component of our mission, where we ask each of us to care enough about those around us to win another person to Christ, to share your faith with them, word in hand, the truth in hand, that they might know and come and find Jesus. And that's the first picture I need you guys to have here. Now, second picture we're going to help you with is, uh, Tim, what kind of tradition were you raised in? Church tradition? Yeah, church tradition. Conservative. Conservative? Yeah. Okay, like a Baptistic type thing? Good, yeah. perfect. Then you got it exactly right. I want you to fold your hands right in front of you, and I want you to put them down. Good. And pretend you're worshiping in a conservative Baptist sort of way. Good. <laughs> <laughs> perfect. What kind of church were you raised in, Don? Uh, very conservative. A very conservative. Okay, I'm for our... Sinner in the hands of an angry God. Sinner in the hands of an angry God. Okay, for our purposes, I'm going to have you raised in a charismatic church, all right? I'll be Troy. You'll be Troy. There you go. So I want you to stand with... There you go. Perfect. Perfect. Leave them up. Leave them up. That's great. So this is the picture I want you to have next. I want you to have a picture of a more charismatic worshiper, a more Presbyterian type of worshiper. And the reason that I want you to have those two pictures here is because those are two legitimate styles of worship. Amen? They are. That's one of the things our church rallies around is that we have more sedate type of worship because that's just as much worship with your heart somber before God. And then we have more expressive worship. But what I need you to see is the picture here. Let's pan out here. Try to keep the camera on these two if you can. Uh, I want to, if you can, on the screen there. There we go. Perfect. Keep the shot on them for this whole thing. I, I want you guys to see uh, the fact that this is a worshiping community and that worship is to be done 24-7. It's a hard attitude that you and I carry into our week. It's a spiritually forming discipleship thing where we learn to submit to Christ each moment of each day. And so whether it's somber worship, expressive worship, it's your heart being given to God. It's you understanding his word, understanding his truth. It's the second picture of our church. 
It's the build component. We win people to Christ, then we start spiritually forming people through worship, through the word, through prayer, through learning how to submit to Christ each moment of each day. Okay, you can put your hands down, Don. You kind of felt like Moses there, didn't you? Good. Now, I want you guys to face each other for this third picture, and I want you to put your hands on each other's shoulders like your brothers in Christ. Perfect. This is the third picture I want you to see. This is a picture of what we might call the community of faith. The fact that we love each other in Jesus Christ, we band together, as one pastor says, in little platoons, and we tell our stories. We share our lives. We share our hurts and our joys. We pray for each other. We study the Word. Some people call it a small group. You can't have fellowship like this without a small group. So whether it happens in a small group setting, an enrichment class setting, or a discipleship setting, whatever setting it is, it's you finding a group of people within the church to be the church with as you band together as the church in little communities. And again, it's part of our build component. It honors what Jesus says in John 17, that they might be one as the Father and the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, are one. And then our fourth picture I want you guys to have as we talk about the church is, Tim, I want you to put this towel around your, over your arm and pretend you're a waiter. And I want you to look to Don with your best look and posture of serving him. That's your best? There you go. Perfect. Perfect. I love it. That's awesome. And I want you to look like you're receiving the service, all right? So hold that pose. <laughs> That's good. All right. There you go. You're eating up precious sermon time. Get the towel back over. So the, the picture there, obviously, is of you guys are going to find restaurants. You have people who wait on you and all of that. It's just all of serving another person. And you guys remember in John chapter 13 when Jesus uh, washed the disciples' feet, very akin to what Tim was just doing? And what did he tell us to do? To love one another through serving one another. Guys, listen, I think service is one of the most powerful ways to share the love of Jesus Christ in this community out there. Would you agree with that? I mean, people at times are tired of Christians talking and all these things. What they want is for us to roll up our sleeves and put the serving towel over our arms and serve. And it's one of the pictures I need you to have of the church here today. We serve within these walls. We serve outside these walls. And in so doing, we share the love of Jesus Christ as we help people come to Christ. It's part of the sending component of our mission. We win, we build, we send. And then the last picture I want you guys to have of these, and this is real risky with this, guys, is here's five bucks. Here's five bucks. I want you both to extend those up toward heaven, all right, as if you were giving it to God. Yeah, it's real. So there you go. Perfect. That's the picture I want you to have, too, of what the Bible talks about when it talks about a generous spirit, that all of us, with the things we've been blessed with, need to hold them freely and be generous to those around us generous to our families, generous to our church, generous with the things God has given us so that we might resource the kingdom of God in the hearts of people. It's why I know the church sometimes gets a bad rap of talking about money, and some churches do talk way too much about money. But the reality is, is that money and resources are part of what God has blessed us with, and part of the picture of the church is extending that the resources God has given us up to Him and asking Him to use them.
Thank you. Thank these guys for being up here. Perfect. I, I, we could go on with many, many more pictures, couldn't we? I, I mean, we talk about evangelistically fervent, highly devoted worshipers, authentic community, a, a serving towel around the arm, resourcing the kingdom. There's more pictures that the Bible gives. But here's the note I want to leave you on here this morning, and, and I hope all of us take this seriously. I want you to dream with me what our community would be like if every person who called Scottsdale Bible Church their home embodied at the very least these five pictures. Just dream with me the impact we could have as the hope of the world just on Scottsdale and Phoenix and even other places if we were an evangelistically fervent, highly worshiping, each of us in authentic community with the serving towel around our arms, resourcing the kingdom kind of church. And I know how some of you think. You're thinking right now, well, Jamie, aren't we that? Well, in some, if not many ways, certainly we are. And that's why I'm here, because I'm very proud of Scottsdale Bible Church and all that God is doing in and through this place. But there's always room for more. We did a survey of our church, as many of you know, when we started our Worship Connect Serve initiative this year. And we have about, about, about about 100% of people who come for worship, about 50% serve, and about 50% are in a small group. And there's probably a lot of overlap between those 50%. And so that tells us that we have a lot of people in this church that could use to put the serving towel around their arm. They could use to get connected in some type of small group. And it's our goal this year to continue to do that and provide for you platforms and opportunities to do that. Why? Because we want to have a stat that shows us that we're 80% involved? No. We want to do it because we want you to experience and be the hope of Jesus Christ to those around you. We want you to have the experiences and then provide for others the experiences of ongoing prayer and opening up your life and receiving somebody else's life and studying the word together and having new insights and seeing your marriage become all it could be and having others help you with your parenting. Just all the things that God wants us to be as the body of Christ and to reach Scottsdale with the good news of Jesus Christ. So hopefully today my only goal was to help us learn a little bit more about what the church is and most importantly why God puts such a premium on us. Why in a very real way he says, you guys are the hope of the world because it's you that I'm pitting my hopes on to be the body of Christ in the setting that he has called you to. We're going to take up our elders fund offering right now, which we do every month for those in need in our community. Not a bad time to do it after this message. So uh, free, please feel free to give freely to this. This money goes directly to those in need in our community and our church. So let me pray for us. And then Joe is going to close us with a song, and he'll dismiss us. So bow with me, would you? Father, thank you for your goodness and for your grace and how all of that comes to us in Jesus Christ, our Savior. And Father, I pray that as we talked a little bit today about what it means to be the church, the body of Christ, in this culture that we find ourselves in, I pray, God, that you might work within each of our hearts and our minds to help us respond to this in our own way. God, we're providing opportunities this year at our church for people to worship, to connect in small groups, and to serve. And we pray, God, that today might be the impetus for people to take that more seriously and to get more involved in some type of group and certainly in serving. And so, God, as we do that, may you continue to breathe story after story after story in and through our church 
that you have with the Shardas of your movement in our lives as we band together as the church. So God, thank you for our time today. Thank you for our visiting pastors and for all they mean to us. And uh, we commit our lives to you once again in this offering as well. In Christ's name, amen.